better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. That song has such a nice, joyful, jovial kind of tune to it. It feels so happy. But when you stop and you really look at the lyrics and dive a little deeper, it's actually kind of scary. It sounds like a threat. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. It's like we are being motivated by our fear to be good. You better be good or else. Because you know he's got that list and checks it twice, naughty or nice. And you want to make sure that you're on Santa's nice list and not the naughty list. And so you're so afraid of ending up on the naughty list that you be good or else suffer the consequences. No Christmas presents, or at worst, a lump of coal under the tree. Is Jesus the same as Santa, at least in this song? John the Baptist is proclaiming that one stronger and mightier than he is coming. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is coming to town. And he has come to separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Is this the same thing? One thing that we do know, as much as we might want to get away from it, is that when God comes into this world, including in the Christ child and with the arrival of Jesus, like John is saying, judgment comes with God. God is coming to judge good from evil, to declare who was in the wrong and who was in the right, to set this world right. The challenge, though, is we tend to think of judgment in only one way. We tend to think of judgment as punitive, punishment. Do good or else. Be afraid to not do good. Be afraid because we think Jesus is going to burn you up if you don't. Be good because you're afraid Santa's going to leave you a lump of coal if you don't. We think of punitive justice or punitive judgment. Uh, in our everyday life, you think of somebody who steals a car, and then they go to jail. And the whole thing is that they are going to be afraid of going to jail so they won't steal a car again. Right? That's the idea. But that's not the only way to think about judgment. There's also restorative judgment. Judgment that's closer to what God does in this world. As in God restores, setting things right. This judgment isn't just about making us afraid of punishment and keeping us in line and encouraging us to do good out of fear. But it's about stoking not our fears, but our hopes and our dreams and our trust and our faith that God is going to set this world right. Restorative judgment, restorative justice 
It's for all people. To make sure abundant life flourishes everywhere. So in the stealing the car example, it's not enough to just make people afraid to steal a car lest they get punished. But restorative judgment or justice, ask the question, why are they stealing the car in the first place? Are they taking the cars and selling them for money? Why do they need the money? Can't they just work a regular job? Is their job not earning enough to support themselves and their family, their loved ones? Do they have an addiction that's costing them extra money and they need to get that extra cash to get their fix? And so restorative justice, restorative judgment, takes all of that into account and works to provide abundant life for everyone. So it might not look like it's not enough to just throw somebody in jail in order to punish them and make them afraid to do bad, but instead would offer the opportunity to earn a GED, to get a better education so you can get a better job, to teach skills, uh, technical skills like cooking or welding or something like that, to start a program, a recovery program. God's justice and judgment is closer to the restorative end of things. God is coming to set the world right. And that's good news. That shouldn't make us afraid. That should make us hopeful and excited. John says about Jesus that the axe is at the root of the tree, and trees that don't bear fruit are going to get cut down, and that chaff is going to get burned away. That's actually a good thing. It's not, he says that, not so that we are afraid that we're not bearing enough fruit and God's going to get us and chop us down, or that we're more chaff than we are wheat and God's going to burn us up, to make us afraid, scared into doing the right thing, but instead to fill us with hope, to have this idea that when we chop down the trees that aren't bearing fruit, they're the ones that are taking, blocking out the sunlight for the other trees, that are sucking up the nutrients of the soil and killing the orchard slowly but surely. But the chaff that's burnt away, if that's mixed out and it's not separated, and you bake bread with flour that has chaff in it, with the husks, the inedible husks, you're going to get real hungry real fast. <laughs> God is coming so that life might be had by all people. And all the forces and the sins of this world that separate us from love for one another and separate us from the love of God, God is coming to chop down and burn away. And that's good news. And with that judgment, this restorative judgment, comes a call to repent. Repent and believe in the good news. And often when we hear that word repent, we usually think it is something that's actually more akin to something called contrition. Or like feeling sorry and bad about your sin. So somebody cuts you off on the way to work. You flip them the bird. And then you regret it and you feel bad about it and you ask God for forgiveness. And we usually think that that's what repentance is. But it's not. 
Repentance is more than that. It's more than just feeling sorry about something bad that you did one time. Repentance is about the transformation of our minds. It's about seeing the world like God sees the world, hearing with God's ears and feeling with God's heart. It's about transforming our whole perspective on things. It's about believing that God's kingdom is coming, and it's going to change the world. It's going to bring goodness that we never thought was possible. To imagine ourselves in the midst of that kingdom, and then to get started, to be a part of that work now. So I want you to repent with me for a moment and do some imagining. So I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that you heard the news. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. But when you hear this news, this isn't a you better not pout, you better not cry kind of thing. You're not filled with fear and anxiety. You're filled with joy and hope. Not afraid Christ is going to get you because you weren't good enough, but rejoicing because this world is loved by Christ and he's going to set it right. I want you to imagine the promises of God throughout Scripture of what it's going to look like when God enters into this world to set it right. I want you to imagine the vision from Isaiah where swords are beaten into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. The world is at peace. No more war. I want to imagine what that would look like today. Imagine that every town and city has a huge forge in the center of it, and people bring their knives and their guns and their other tools of destruction and weapons into that forge to melt them down into scrap metal to be used for other things. I want you to imagine every nation of the world disassembling and disabling every bomb and tool, that tanks are a relic of the past, interesting to look at, but have no purpose or function in the present. I want you to imagine the shared vision of Isaiah and John of Patmos, who wrote Revelation. The vision when all of God's people gather on God's holy mountain to sing praises together. I want you to imagine sitting at a table with people of every language, of every culture, of every generation, every background, all gathered together in peace, sharing bread, sharing stories, laughing with one another, playing together, sharing our gifts with one another. I want you to imagine a world where there is enough, where there's no greed, there's no pride, no one's better than anybody else. And this world of abundance that God has made for us, that there's plenty to go around. Everyone has enough food. Everyone has enough water. Everyone has enough company and presence. No one is alone. I want you to imagine that creation is as grand and beautiful as when God first spoke it into existence. Sea levels are no longer rising. The temperature of the earth is no longer increasing. Endangered species are no longer endangered. All the animals of the world are being fruitful and multiplying like God intended. 
I want you to imagine this kingdom where every tear of sorrow, every tear of mourning for the death of a loved one, every tear of pain, every tear of loneliness is wiped away by God's own hand. And I want you to imagine yourself. Where are you in this world? What are you doing? Are you singing praises to God with people from all nations? Are you passing the bread to somebody from another land, another language? Are you embracing a former enemy? Are you wiping the tears away of someone, wiping their sorrow away because it's no more? Open your eyes. Repentance means that you have a calling, that you get to live just how you imagined yourself in this kingdom of God. You get to live that now. You get to share with the world. You get to work for peace. You get to wipe away the tears of sorrow and loneliness and mourning. You get to live into that promised kingdom here and now. You don't have to wait for the second coming of Jesus. You don't even have to wait until this Christmas. You get to start now. Because the promises of God are true and they are as good as done. Christ is coming to restore this world. His judgment that brings about goodness. So, repent and believe in the good news. Amen.